There's nothing like getting lost in a great novel, but sometimes the story of an author's life is more fascinating than the work they produce. That's the case with many of the criminal authors on this list. And there are several notable cases where life imitates art, and not in a good way. At the top of this list are murders so brutal, it's almost impossible to separate the art from the artist. And in one case near the top, the art quite literally helped land the author in jail for the rest of his life. Hey, all you weirdos. Welcome to Crime Countdown, a Spotify original from Parcast. I'm Ash. And I'm Elena. Every week, we'll highlight 10 fascinating stories of history's most engaging and unsettling crimes, all picked by the Parcast research gods. This episode, we're counting down the top 10 dangerous authors. One of my favorite authors, I don't I don't know if you've heard of her. Her name's like Elena <laughs> Yerkwahar. I don't know. She's got a dangerous way about her, I think. <laughs> and, you know, her just being a Capricorn and all that <laughs> makes her pretty dangerous. It does. <laughs> but I would be very upset if she turned out to be a murderer like some of the other authors on this list. <laughs> Stop. <laughs> You're making my head just to explode. I love here. it. I know I will not end up being a murderer, That's I promise. That's great. Thanks for that promise. Uh, but I appreciate that. And also my favorite authors happen to be Stephen King, F. Scott Fitzgerald, and Patricia Cornwell, I would say, are my top three. And two out of those three writers definitely write dangerous material, but I cannot imagine hearing their names on the news in relation to absolutely anything we're going to talk about on today's list. No. I would be devastated. I that know would you would me. be real sad. Yeah, it would truly ruin me. Having a favorite author, it's like a different kind of relationship because... You really idolize them. You look up to them so much, but you also are getting a kind of like an, a peek into the inner workings of their mind through their work. So you become a little more connected to them in your own head because you feel like you get them. You know them. You exactly. understand them. You see their most like almost private thoughts. Yes. That's what writing is. It really is. And speaking of Stephen King, by the way, today's list is kind of serving us like reverse misery. Yes. You know what I mean? It's got that vibe. My number one will have you completely shocked and just so angry that this person was even able to become an author in the first place. Elena has five dangerous authors on her side of the list, and so do I, but neither of us knows what the others bring into the countdown. And as a heads up, this episode contains adult subject matters, including descriptions of intimate partner violence, and is intended for adult consumption only. It may not be suitable for all audiences, therefore, discretion is advised. Let's start the countdown. The Hargan women seemed to have it all. We were blessed. My mom was amazing. But detectives would soon discover... Inside the house, there were the bodies of two women. A story of betrayal you would struggle to believe if it wasn't true. I am just praying to God this is a sick joke. From 48 Hours, this is Blood is Thicker, the Hargan family killings. Listen to Blood is Thicker, the Hargan family killings wherever you get your podcasts. Hear that? It's the sound of someone whacking the ground with a rake. Specifically, they're beating around the bush, which we've done enough of in this ad too, so let's get right to it. The new moneymaker scratch-off from the Ohio Lottery doesn't beat around the bush. Money maker. 
Play the game and you could win money, up to $2 million. With more than $88 million in prizes, ranging from $50 to $500, Moneymaker cuts right to the cash. Lottery players are subject to Ohio laws and commission regulations. Play responsibly. Your brain needs support. And new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L-theanine, and caffeine. Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus, stay chill, or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y dot These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. 10. I'll start us off with number 10 on the countdown, Chester Himes. Chester Himes was born in 1909 to a Black father and biracial mother. He wrote about racism and crime, partially inspired by the seven years he spent in prison for armed robbery. While Chester was studying at Ohio State University, he was arrested for using a fake ID and cashing a bad check. He got out on bail, drove to a white neighborhood with a gun, broke into a wealthy home, and robbed the couple there. He was arrested the next day. Chester was 19 years old at the time. He was sentenced to 20 years in prison, but only served seven years. Chester began writing while in prison on a typewriter he had procured with money won from gambling. The short stories he wrote about crime in prison were eventually published in prestigious magazines like Esquire. After his release from prison in 1936, he began working as a scriptwriter. In 1945, his debut novel, If He Hollers, Let Him Go, was published to critical acclaim. But Chester continued to suffer from the deep-rooted racism of America at that time. He said, quote, Up to the age of 31, I had been hurt emotionally, spiritually, and physically as much as 31 years can bear. But it was, quote, Under the mental corrosion of race prejudices in Los Angeles, I became bitter and saturated with hate. He moved to France in the 1950s and spent the rest of his life living in Europe. In 1957, he published his most famous book, A Rage in Harlem, which won a prestigious French crime fiction literary award. It was later adopted into a film starring Danny Glover and Forrest Whitaker. Oh, wow. I love Danny Glover and Forrest Whitaker. I think I've heard of that. I have too. He died while living in Spain in 1984 at the age of 75. What a life. Yeah, truly. He lived a life for sure. Nine. At number nine is Joan Henry. Joan Henry and her twin sister were born into a life of privilege in London in the early 1900s. But a series of misfortunes landed Joan deep in debt, and when she tried to get out of it, she ended up in prison. Joan Henry and her twin sister were cousins of an earl in England and the descendant of two prime ministers. But Joan's life was marked by tragedy. Her father deserted the family when Joan was a child, and her mother was so destroyed by him leaving that she was unable to raise her children. They were raised by their grandparents in Ireland. A few years after Joan's debut as a debutante in 1932, her twin sister died. So she had gone through a lot already. Yeah. She married in 1938 and began writing romance novels as a way to earn extra money. In the 1940s, her marriage started to break down and she went into major debt from excessive gambling. 
A friend offered to loan her money with a check that turned out to be forged. She was arrested and sentenced to 12 months in prison. She spent eight months in two different women's prisons in England. Her time there led to her writing and publishing Who Lie in Jail, a sensational book about the mistreatment of female prisoners that she witnessed. In the book, she describes sick prisoners being left to suffer and pregnant women forced to give birth in their cells. Jeez. Oof. She wrote about the abuse she witnessed, quote, I came to the conclusion that this kind of thing is less sadism than the smugness of mind which sees black as black and white as white and therefore finds no difficulty in regarding a convicted person as unfit for normal consideration. The book quickly became a bestseller. There was even a film adaptation the following year after publishing. Joan ended up marrying the director of the film adaptation and went on to write several more novels, film scripts, and plays. She died at the age of 86. Wow. Between her and Chester Himes, it's like... They go through this, like, craziness in life. Yeah. But they produce this, like, amazing art out of it. They really do. They're not it's even wild. dangerous. They're great. No, they're just, like, they're just wilding a little bit. They're just a wilding out, you know. Eight. Number eight on our countdown of dangerous authors is Malcolm Braley. Malcolm Braley spent his youth in and out of foster homes and delinquent centers. Despite having only one and a half years of a high school education, he went on to write novels praised by the likes of Kurt Vonnegut, all while sitting in prison. Malcolm was born in 1925 in Oregon. His mother abandoned the family and his father was a drifter. He was caught stealing at 17 and was sent to reform school. Meanwhile, he probably just didn't have any access to food I was gonna because say, he didn't have parents. Exactly. By age 18, he was in prison at San Quentin after a spree of armed robberies, grand theft auto, escaping arrest, and having an armed standoff with police. From then until the age of 40, Malcolm was in and out of prison. He spent a total of 17 years behind bars. Malcolm apparently had a bad habit using the drug speed. His highs would lead him to burglary, which he compared to, quote, an enormous Easter egg hunt. Oh, it's one way to describe it. That is. Malcolm said this about his time in prison. Quote, I never argued with society's right to imprison me as a burglar. When I was first in prison, everybody had a reason for being there. It was all psychoanalytic. Their parents had split up or whatever. I said no. Malcolm was able to get a clerical job in prison that got him access to a typewriter. He wrote his debut novel, Felony Talk, from inside San Quentin. I mean, where else are you going to write felony talk? That is wild. It has to be written within the doors or whatever you want to call it of San Quentin. Yeah. The book was an autobiographical novel about a 17-year-old orphan who was caught robbing a store. When prison guards heard about the book Felony Talk, they demanded that Malcolm pass all his writings through them so they could scrub it clean of any unsavory details. Oh, get out of here. It's like maybe you could be like better people and not abuse us and then I won't have to write about then it. Then you wouldn't have to scrub out all those details. Right. Malcolm delayed finishing his next novel until he was out of prison to avoid censorship by the prison. Good, Good for, for him. <laughs> After his release, he wrote several memoirs about his life and time in prison. The famed writer Kurt Vonnegut called Malcolm's book On the Yard, quote, the great American prison novel. Malcolm died in a car accident at age 54. He had been out of prison for 15 years at the time. Oh, so he really end. only got like 30 years outside of prison. Yeah, like, that's, that's awful. Sad. 
seven. At number seven this week is Edward Bunker. The writer and actor Edward Bunker was convicted for the first time at age 14 for a burglary. He went on to stab a prison guard and attempt to escape from prison. But he also wrote several critically acclaimed novels and starred in one of Quentin Tarantino's most legendary films. My brain will not wrap around any of these. This countdown is wild (laughs) already. Edward Bunker had a rough childhood. His parents, who worked on the fringes of the entertainment industry, divorced when he was just four years old. He bounced around from foster homes to juvenile reform schools and apparently ran away from both on a regular basis. By seventh grade, he had dropped out of school entirely. At age 14, he was convicted for burglary, his first conviction of many. While still a teenager, Edward stabbed a guard at a juvenile reform school and then escaped from the jail that he was in. At age 17, he became the youngest inmate at San Quentin. Wow. There, he began to write and also formed a bond with the writer and actor, Danny Trejo, who served 11 years in prison before ever stepping foot on a film set. That's wild. That's crazy. Wow. In later years, he served time for bank robbery, check forgery, drug dealings, assault, and felony. Over the course of his life, he ended up spending 18 years in prison. It was in prison that Edward began to write and published his first novel, No Beast So Fierce. The book was about an ex-con who returns to a life of crime after struggling to find work. I feel like we're seeing a little bit of a pattern here. Writers writing about prison while they're in prison. Write what you know. I was just going to say that. They're inspired by their surroundings. Yeah, you gotta be. The novel was adapted into the 1978 film Straight Time, starring Dustin Hoffman. Edward co-wrote the script and had a small role in the film. After his books began to be published, his life of crime ended and he never went back to prison. He wrote several more novels and screenplays related to crime life and his time in prison. The famed film director Quentin Tarantino was a fan of Edward's and cast him in the role of Mr. Blue in his film Reservoir Dogs. That's a great movie. Edward died in 2005 at the age of 71. Six. Also on our list at number six is Hans Falada. The German writer Hans Falada, whose birth name was Rudolf Ditson, survived a suicide pact with a friend as a teenager. He managed to avoid jail time by pleading insanity, but went on to live a life filled with drug abuse and jail time before dying from a morphine overdose in 1947. By the time Hans was 18 years old, he had survived two attempts at suicide. He then entered a suicide pact with a friend. He and the friend headed to the German countryside, where they planned to fire on each other in the style of a duel. Oh, man. Hans survived the incident with a few bullet wounds, but his friend died. He was arrested for murder, but his father got him care under a leading psychiatrist who said Hans was not of sound mind. The charges against Hans were dropped, and he was sent to a psychiatric hospital. After getting out of the hospital, he tried to join the German army, but was rejected because he was addicted to alcohol and morphine. Oh my goodness. While in and out of psychiatric hospitals, Hans managed to write his first book, a semi-autobiographical novel about a troubled youth. He published it under the pseudonym Hans Falada, which he took from Grimm's fairy tales. I love it. As his father was worried his name would be recognized from the earlier suicide pact with his friend. That's smart. 
That is. In 1923, after publishing his second novel to critical acclaim, he was sent to jail for a few months for embezzlement. Oh, wow. It turns out he was stealing money from his employers to pay for his addiction to morphine and cocaine. It's getting worse and worse for Hans. It really is. The same thing happened again in 1925 and 1928, where he stole money to fund his addiction. By 1932, he had seen huge success with his novels, one of which was turned into a film. But it coincided with the rise of the Nazi regime, who marked Hans as having, quote, subversive ideas. Mm. Hans began to write things he knew would not upset the Nazis in order to avoid arrest. But his mental health was taking a toll. That's really sad. That is sad. Hans died at age 53 in 1947 from an accidental overdose of morphine. Around 2009, Hans's final novel was released in English for the first time. It was about a couple that resisted the Nazis and were executed as a result and became an international bestseller. Wow. It's just so wow. sad that that story was marked with such tragedy when he really had such a talent. It truly, yeah. And it's sad because it really was just dotted the entire time with just tragedy, tragedy, tragedy. I feel like that honestly is a running theme with all of these that we've For spoken sure. about. Like they're all somewhat inspired by their tragedies. I know it's sad because these people, a lot of a couple of them at least, have been in situations where they're really not getting a fair shake at life. It right. feels, and it kind of goes the other way. Exactly. Sad. I wonder if that theme will continue throughout the rest I on your know. side at least. You got number one. Put yourself in the shoes of a real-life detective. Imagine examining the crime scene, gathering evidence and interviewing witnesses, feeling the pressure mount as you race against time to catch a criminal. Each week on Scotland Yard Confidential, the new Spotify original from Parcast, we enter the minds of some of the greatest detectives in history, following in their footsteps as they hunt down suspects and solve seemingly impossible cases, like the scandalous murder of singer Cora Crippen in 1910, whose body was found in her cellar shortly after her husband skipped town. Or the daring Hatton Garden heist of 2015, when a gang of elderly thieves made off with a haul worth millions. And the cryptic notes found at a murder scene during the First World War. Was it a clue or a red herring designed to throw investigators off? Scotland Yard Confidential is a Spotify original from Parcast, made in partnership with Noiser, airing episodes weekly starting May 19th. Follow and listen to Scotland Yard Confidential for free on Spotify. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Five. All right, let's jump back in with number five on our countdown of dangerous authors. Starting off the second half of our list is Mark Chopper Reed. After a troubled childhood in Australia, Mark Reed learned to read and write in prison. Later on in life, Mark claimed that he had killed 19 people, although he was never officially charged with murder. Mark was born in 1954 in Melbourne. 
During a turbulent childhood, he ended up in a children's home where he underwent electric shock therapy. Between the ages of 20 and 28, Mark was only outside of prison for 13 months. He was convicted of various crimes, including armed robbery, firearm possession, assault, arson, impersonating a police officer, and kidnapping. A handful. Yeah, just a few things there. In 1978, he entered a courthouse with a sawed-off shotgun, which he pointed at the judge before eventually being disarmed. He was apparently trying to get a friend freed from prison. That's not way to do it. Might want to go about that (laughs) a little differently, Mark. He was jailed for malicious wounding and trying to kidnap a judge. He later tried to escape from prison. Back in prison, he cut off part of his ears in order to get a transfer to another prison. While that didn't work, he simultaneously was learning to read and write. He had a lot on his plate. Yeah, a lot going on. So much. Many things. The letters he wrote to a journalist during that time were the start of his first book. When he got out of jail in 1987, he reportedly killed two different people, but was found not guilty. In 1991, he moved to Tasmania and vowed to get straight. That year, he went on to publish his first book, Chopper from the Inside. Uh, That'll get you straight, I guess. That will. The book was a hit. Mark went on to publish one book a year for a decade. Whoa, Mark. Right? Including children's books and one book called How to Shoot Friends and Influence People. (laughs) I hope it wasn't what it sounds like. Shortly after moving to Tasmania, he quite literally shot a friend and went to prison for causing grievous harm. He was released in 1998. All in all, Mark spent 23 years of his life behind bars. His life of crime became a thing of legend. Mark was diagnosed with cancer in 2012 and died in 2013 at the age 58. Four. Landing at number four this week is... William S. Burroughs. William S. Burroughs is perhaps best known for his book, Naked Lunch, for being a heroin addict and for shooting his wife as part of a drunken joke. Although he never served jail time for the shooting, her death at his hands haunted him for the remainder of his life. Good. William S. Burroughs was born to a well-off family in Missouri in 1914. In the early 1940s, he moved to New York City and started to run with people who would come to be known as the Beat Generation, Jack Kerouac, Allen Ginsberg, and Neil Cassidy. William first tried morphine in 1943 and became a heroin addict shortly after that. Despite the fact that William was outspoken about sleeping with men, he married Joan Vollmer in 1945, and they had a son. The couple moved around often and ended up in Mexico City, In September of 1951, they were drunk at an afternoon party, and William had a gun. He told Joan to put a glass on her head. Mm -hmm. I don't like where this is going. No. William fired an inch too low, shooting Joan in the forehead and killing her. Oh, my God. He went to jail in Mexico, but left the country after being bailed out a week after the incident. He was never tried for the murder. Wow. His first book, Junkie, Confessions of an Unredeemed Drug Addict, was published in 1953 when he was 39 years old. In a later book, William credits Joan with leading him to become a writer. He wrote, quote, I am forced to the appalling conclusion that I would never have become a writer but for Joan's death. 
the death of Joan brought me in contact with the invader, the ugly spirit, and maneuvered me into a lifelong struggle in which I had no choice except to write my way out. After the death of Joan, he drifted around the world, from South America to Morocco, and eventually to Kansas. W wow. What a turn. A world traveler. South America, Morocco, Kansas. While in Tangiers, he wrote his most famous novel, Naked Lunch, while high on heroin. It's rumored that in 1992, William took part in an exorcism ceremony with a Sioux medicine man to evict a spirit in him that he believed entered at the time of Joan's death. He died in 1997 at the age of 83. You didn't tell me whether or not the spirit came out. I do not know. That man. I am not privy to that information. That man lived a life. That's a rough one. Also, I hope their son is all right. Okay, that's what I was worried about this entire time. Me he was too. like, then he just traveled the world after killing the mom. And I'm like, but where'd he go? Where's is the, the son, son okay? Yeah. What does he think of this whole thing? Oh, man. My goodness. These are all a lot of cautionary tales. It's getting a little scary in here. Number three on our countdown of dangerous authors is J.J. Paulson. J.J. Paulson was an Emmy Award-nominated TV writer who worked on famed comedies like The Cosby Show and In Living Color. He was also found guilty of brutally murdering his wife and leaving her remains in an attic until they were partially mummified. Oh, yeah. Leanne Serrano-Paulson had been voted homecoming queen of her high school. She pursued a career in acting before she met her future husband, J.J. Paulson. Around 2007, the couple had apparently run into some financial troubles. Creditors went after the couple for nearly $700,000 in debt. Oh, just that. That same year, J.J. pleaded guilty to domestic battery. Leanne had called the cops on two separate occasions to report domestic violence. In April of 2007, police were sent to the Paulson home. There, they found the couple's 16-month-old toddler alone in his crib. The house had signs of a struggle with a broken bed frame and a dent in the drywall. Oh my goodness. While detectives were searching the house for anyone that was with the child, they went into the attic and found the body of Leanne. An autopsy showed that she had been dead for between two weeks to a month before the body was found. She had died of blunt force trauma to the oh. head. Police searched the area near the house and found J.J. wandering the streets three miles away. He told police he was looking for his wife, who had been drinking. J.J. was arrested for child abandonment and for violating his parole. In 2009, he was convicted of voluntary manslaughter, neglect of a dependent, and moving a body from the scene of death. He was sentenced to 26 years in prison. Oh my God, not light. Like, that's a slap on the wrist, Come dude. on. It's definitely going to, like, the most horrific as we get down. Yeah, we started off and I was, like, rooting for some of these dangerous authors. And then we're starting to get to the and end. And getting, I'm like, oh, you are dangerous, dangerous authors. You're legitimately dangerous. Right? In the worst kind of way. I don't know what number one is going to be because number two is like, woo. Number two is, like, rough. Yeah. Let's go. Two. 
We're down to the final two spots on our countdown of dangerous authors. At number two is Blake Libel. Blake Libel co-wrote a graphic novel about a scientist who experiments on a psychopathic killer to find a cure for evil. In a case of life imitating art, he went on to be convicted for a gruesome murder. Blake Libel appeared to be well-connected in Hollywood. He came from a successful Canadian real estate family, and it was rumored he got a family salary that ended up to nearly $2 million over a period of seven years. Okay. No big deal. A family salary. A family salary. I want one of those. In 2010, Blake co-authored the graphic novel Syndrome. The book concludes with the sentence, quote, in the end, we all become monsters. Not wrong. That's dark. Blake lived with his girlfriend, Iana Kazian. She had recently given birth to the couple's first child. Her mother, Olga, flew in from Ukraine to help take care of her infant granddaughter. Soon after arriving, the mother and daughter went shopping for a baby stroller. That was the last time Olga saw Iana. When Olga didn't hear from her daughter after the shopping trip, she called the police multiple times. They tried to do a welfare check on Iana at the apartment she shared with Blake, but no one answered the door. At one point, Olga became desperate and stood outside the couple's apartment yelling for Blake. She reportedly saw him come to the window, close it, and go back inside. Oh, that's disgusting. So disturbing. How do you do that to somebody's mother? A few days after Olga reported Iana missing, the police broke into Blake's apartment. They found blood all over the apartment, including in the kitchen drain pipe. In the basement, police found 11 trash bags with bloody sheets, clothes, and body parts belonging to Iana. And lastly, her corpse was laid out on the bed in the master bedroom. Oh my gosh. In the murder's aftermath, Blake was described as jealous of the attention his girlfriend was showing their newborn baby. I am leaving and I am never coming back. This doesn't seem like a very valid excuse to me. Uh, no. Prosecutors also highlighted Blake's graphic novel during the trial and said it spelled out how Iana's murder would go. Oh, wow. Yeah. In 2018, Blake was convicted of first-degree murder, torture, and aggravated mayhem. He was sentenced to life in prison without the possibility of parole. Bye. I hope that baby's okay. I do too. All the babies. All the babies. I hope they're all okay. One. And that brings us to number one on our countdown of the top 10 dangerous authors, Lu Yongbiao. Lu Yongbiao was a successful Chinese writer who was haunted by something from his past. He and a friend had murdered four people and remained on the lam for the crime for over 20 years. In November of 1995, Lu and a friend were traveling through a province in eastern China. They apparently needed money and decided stealing from guests at a hostel was the way to get it. But one of the guests caught Lou and his friend and confronted them. The two men killed the guest in response. In the end, they only found a watch, ring, and the cash equivalent of a few dollars on the person that they'd killed. To cover up their crime, they beat to death the couple that ran the hostel, along with the couple's 13-year-old grandson. When he later recalled the killing, Lou said he used rope, clubs, and hammers to kill the four people. My goodness. He said the details of the murder were so cruel, he should, quote, die 100 times for what he had done. 
After Lou and his friend left the area, police had trouble cracking the case. The guest house was old school and kept no record of the guests that had stayed there. Lou wasn't caught for over 20 years. In the meantime, he had a decades-long career as an author. He was actually accepted into the China Writers Association and won a local literary prize. Oh, what? I'm like, you took all of that and knowing full well what you are? My goodness. He later confessed that some of his novels were inspired by thoughts about the murders he committed. What? Over 20 years after the Lodge incident, police were able to find DNA traces in a cigarette butt left at the scene. We love DNA. I love it. Over the course of a few months, they narrowed the trail for the matching DNA to a clan with the surname Lu in a certain province in China. Working with local police, they narrowed their suspects down to Lu. Plainclothes officers were sent to ask Lou for his saliva for a DNA test. They pretended that they were doing research into the residents' family trees. It was a match with Lou. When the police came to arrest Lou, he reportedly told them that he had been, quote, waiting for you here all this time. Oh, please. That's just like being such a jerk. Get out of here. One of the arresting officers said Lou had a letter prepared for his wife. It read, quote, I have been waiting for this day for 20 years, and now it has finally come to an end. Now I can free myself of this spiritual torment I've had for so long. In 2018, Lou was sentenced to death. I love that he was like, oh, now I can be freed from this spiritual torment. It's like, you actually could have freed yourself from this long ago by turning yourself in. That's what's so wild to me is it's like, oh, thank goodness. Like, I love placing the blame on others. And I also love that it's like, ooh, pity me. I can I've be had free. to deal with this forever. And it's like, yeah, because you, you did it. I'm like, you can be free from whatever he said, what, the spiritual torment? I'm yeah. like, what about the torment that their family went through wondering what happened to their loved ones and who had caused that? Unbelievable. Narcissism to the highest degree. Unbelievable. I would definitely say that number one is right where it belongs. Oh, yes, it definitely is. Can you think of anything that was left off? I really can't. I honestly didn't know this many dangerous authors existed. Nor did I. Now I'm going to go into a deep dive again. Cool. Well, thanks for listening. We'll be back next week with another great episode. Remember to follow Crime Countdown on Spotify to get a brand new episode delivered every week. You can find all episodes of Crime Countdown and all other podcast shows for free on Spotify. And if you like this show, follow at Parcast on Facebook and Instagram and at Parcast Network on Twitter. And if you like us, which I hope you do because you made it this far with us, you can listen to Morbid Podcast anywhere you listen to podcasts. And you can follow us on Instagram at Morbid Podcast or on Twitter at A Morbid Podcast. And you can keep it weird until Monday. Please do. Crime Countdown is executive produced by Max Cutler and is a Spotify original from Parcast. It was created by Max Cutler. Sound design by Kristen Acevedo, with associate sound design by Kevin McAlpine. Fact-checking by Cheyenne Lopez. Research by Jay Cahio. It's produced by John Cohen, Kristen Acevedo, Gemma Waters, Jonathan Ratliff, and Tracy Levy. It's associate produced by Gitu Mayra, with production assistance by Ron Shapiro. We're your hosts, Ash Kelly and Elena Urquhart. 
Scotland Yard Confidential is the new Spotify original from Parcast. Enter the minds of some of the greatest detectives in history as they crack seemingly impossible cases. Join us for episodes airing weekly starting May 19th. Follow and listen for free on Spotify.